So we continue in the series e-transfer, and just imagine for a minute that you have the opportunity to go back 100 years, and uh, you're in conversation with your great-grandparents, and you have the task of explaining to them what a smartphone is. The only problem is that you don't have a smartphone in your hand, and the internet does not exist. And so all you have is words. How would you explain what a smartphone is to your great-grandfather? Imagine me saying to my great-grandfather, great-grandfather, a smartphone, it's amazing. It's, um, it's a camera. You can take a selfie, like I did last weekend. It's uh, a video camera. It's an online store. It's a movie theater. It's a map. It's a global information searcher. You can send messages like just through the air to anyone on the planet. Now, my great-grandfather would have no frame of reference for what I was talking about, but because he loves me and is kind to me, he would probably say, how nice, Raymond. You have the greatest imagination. He would have a really hard time believing what I was talking about because it was just so far-fetched. But now, what if I had a smartphone in my hand and I was talking to him and the internet did exist? And so he would see the smartphone and, and kind of observe what it can all do. He probably wouldn't understand what he was seeing, but he would know that the smartphone is real and that it's amazing. The power of actual experience, right? Imagine, or sorry, just think about the Grand Canyon for a minute. It's one thing to have it be described to you in words. It's another thing to walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and just have the expanse of the canyon open before you and be awestruck by the enormity of it. The comparison between the described and the experienced, I think, is helpful as we think about the three spiritual gifts that we will study today. In a world where so many feel alone and vulnerable and hopeless, I think that these gifts are very important. They're a tangible expression of God's presence with us, his compassion for us, and his power to act. So what are they? Let's pray before we open the word. Father... We are thankful for your revelation to us, for the Bible, your written word. And we ask, Lord, that by your spirit you would teach us this morning as you taught your first disciples. We pray that you would enable us to not only understand, soften our hearts and minds that we might understand, but that we would also know how to live it out, how to put it into practice in our day. So we ask you for this grace in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. That's page 959 in your Bible, if you grab the Bible from the seat back in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Before we dive into the three gifts we're going to study today, a few reminders are in order. First of all, when spiritual gifts are being given, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together. This is something very important to God. Secondly, every follower of Jesus receives a spiritual gift or gifts. Everyone. So if you are a follower of Jesus, know that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the gifts are given for the common good, for the strengthening of the church family, for the building up of the church family. And then fourthly, the gifts are given for God's glory and the purposes of his kingdom. They're not given for the glory of the person that maybe is a carrier of that gift. Today we're going to study what some call the power gifts, the gift of faith, gifts of healing, and the workings of miracles. And the purpose of these gifts is to be a tangible expression, as I said earlier, of God's presence with us, of his compassion for those who suffer, and his power to act, to bring people into relationship with him for the first time, or if people are following him already, to strengthen their faith, to, to deepen their faith in him. So, the gift of faith, what is it? Here's a definition. With God-given empowerment, the gift of faith discerns with extraordinary confidence God's will and purpose, and sustains unwavering confidence in God despite seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Let me reread that. The gift of faith discerns with extraordinary confidence God's will and purpose and sustains unwavering confidence in God despite seemingly insurmountable obstacles. A word of caution. Uh, The gift of faith, it's not an instinct or a feeling. It's an act of the will. You place your trust in God because of his faithfulness and love. Secondly, this gift is not about the strength of a personality type, a bold personality type. That's not what it's about. It's a quiet confidence in God. The gift is not faith in one's faith. It's not about conjuring up faith. It's about faith in Jesus. He's the object of our faith. And then fourth, the gift of faith must be exercised in harmony with other gifts, like wisdom and discernment, as all the gifts should be exercised in harmony with all the gifts. This gift has as its foundation saving faith. And so every follower of Jesus has received this gift of saving faith. And then based on that faith in Jesus, that relationship of trust in the Father, the person with the gift of faith believes what Jesus said, that with The faith of a mustard seed, mountains can be moved. They believe Jesus' words when he says, with God God, all things are possible, Matthew 19. In all four Gospels, the crowds, they follow Jesus. And this story is told. Jesus uh, is in Galilee, and the crowds follow him to a desolate place. And Jesus teaches the crowds all day long. And at the end of the day, the disciples, they urge Jesus to send the crowds to the villages to find food for themselves. 
And Jesus says to the disciples, why don't you gather up what you find among the people? And what they come up with is five loaves and two fishes. And so Jesus then takes what is there and he looks to the Father in heaven and he prays a prayer of trust, an act of faith in the goodness of God. He breaks the bread and it's multiplied. It's multiplied. Everyone is satisfied. There are there on that day 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 10,000 people. Everyone's satisfied and the disciples come back with 12 basketfuls of food. In other words, there's an abundance. Jesus trusted in the power and goodness of his Father and that miracle, it provided more evidence for the disciples and the crowds that Jesus truly was the Messiah, the one sent by the Father. In the 19th century, George Mueller, uh, he asked God, how might you demonstrate your power to the people of Bristol, England? And God gave him the idea that he should start an orphanage by faith. He had two shillings in his pocket. He secured a location where the orphanage might begin, but on the night before the orphanage was to open and receive children, he didn't have the necessary household items. He didn't have food to to feed the children. He was reading the scriptures on the night before the children were to arrive, and he was in the Psalms, and he read from Psalm 81 verse 10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And as he read that phrase, he just sensed the Lord speaking to him personally and he knew that he could pray for God's provision. And so he did. He exercised faith. And the next morning, carriages showed up with all that was needed for the children to eat. Over a 60-year period, Mueller and his team cared for over 10,000 orphans. 10,000. Uh, funds were received to start five big homes. Day after day, food was provided. Sometimes the pantry was empty and the children sat down to eat. And as they sat down to eat, food was provided. God provided over and over again, day by day. The children never went hungry. The exercise of faith. I think of a current example here in East Vancouver, Potter's House, and the leadership of that ministry, they exercise faith. Many uh, of our members have been involved there, and they see God's provision over and over again, often miraculously. People with this gift of faith, they just bring oxygen into the room because they're filled with hope. They encourage God's people to trust God for more. They live by William Carey's motto, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Do you have this gift of faith? A few questions you might ask yourself. Do you step into the unknown with confidence in God's faithfulness and love? Do you have a quiet, deep trust that God is working, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? Do you receive assurance that something is going to happen, even though those around you aren't so sure? Do you have the thrill of seeing God intervene time and again on behalf of God's people? The gift of faith. And then another related gift, gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. Here's a definition. With God-given empowerment, the gift of healing restores people to wholeness, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, apart from natural means. 
I'll repeat that. The gift of healing restores people to wholeness, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, apart from natural means. This spiritual gift, like many, is a very intimate one. It reveals God's heart for people, his compassion, his care. In Luke chapter 8, just before Jesus feeds the 5,000, a man by the name of Jairus approaches Jesus. He's the ruler of a synagogue. And he's distraught, he's in despair because his only daughter, 12 years of age, is dying. And he asks Jesus to come to his home. So Jesus responds to that request as he's making his way to the home of Jairus, the crowds press in on him. And there's a woman that's been suffering with a discharge of blood for 12 years. She too is desperate. She has spent all her money on physicians. She approaches Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment and the discharge stops immediately. Jesus realizes that something has happened. And so he asks, who who touched me? Someone touched me. I felt the power go from me. The woman trembles and just throws herself at his feet. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he's still speaking to this woman, a person from the home of Jairus comes and says, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter passed away. And Jesus turns to Jairus and says, don't fear Jairus. And he goes with Jairus to his home. And there people are already in mourning. And Jairus and Jesus And the wife of Jairus enter the home together with a few disciples and Jesus goes to the girl and says, Arise. And she comes back to life. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus heals, we read this in Luke 5, 17. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Or Luke 6, 19. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. In Luke 8, when the woman touches Jesus, Jesus feels the power go out from him. Jesus healed people under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the will of the Father. In Luke chapter, uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, we read gifts of healing. You see the same thing in verse 28 and 30 of the same chapter. This seems to suggest that the gift of healing is not a permanent gift for a follower of Jesus, but there are occurrences of healing, and each healing is a gift in its own right. This healing gift is a gift of grace, always subject to God's sovereign will at various times and places to reveal God's compassion toward the sick. And so those that are gifted by God to pray for healing, they feel compassion for those who are sick, but their utmost desire is that people will be restored to relationship with God, the spiritual well-being of people. A few weeks ago, One of our staff members was suffering with a severe migraine, all of the symptoms of a severe migraine, so blurry vision, um, watery eyes, headache, nausea. So he was sitting there alone, I think in a a dark room, and he was just asking God, God, can I trust you? (laughs) Are you worthy of my trust? 
And as he was praying, one of our, a member of our pastoral team became aware of his condition, was filled with faith, called an elder from our church to join him, and they prayed over this staff member, and the migraine was gone immediately. God present to work powerfully so that his child might know that he's seen and loved by his heavenly father. And of course, his faith was increased. Our last prayer summit was uh, in the middle of November. And uh, CJ, one of our worship leaders, she was to lead worship that night. And she was suffering with lower back muscle spasms. She could hardly get up. How was she going to lead worship? And she thought of asking for prayer, but she was wrestling with it. Should she ask for prayer? Because after all, God doesn't always heal. And there were some lingering doubts. One of our pastors became aware of her condition and so went over and prayed for her and she confessed her doubt and her skepticism. And he said, well, why don't you just confess that to God? He knows how you feel, what you're thinking. And the pastor also called some young adults around to pray with him. And so they prayed for CJ. And again, the pain disappeared. And as they were praying, one of the young adults actually saw a hand touch her back. You should have seen her lead worship that night. No hint of back pain. Why does God heal? God wants those healed to taste his glory to be drawn to him, to know his presence, to know his compassion, to know his power, and then to respond to him with thanksgiving and love and worship. So do you exercise this gift of healing? Do you have a deep compassion for those who are ill? Do you sense the power of God when it is present for healing? Do you take faith risks for the healing of others? A word of caution. The gift of healing always requires faith in God who is sovereign. We always pray according to the will of the Father. And if healing does happen, it's really important to exercise humility. We see this in Peter and John. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are used by God to minister healing to a lame beggar. The lame beggar is healed, he's praising God, and of course the crowds are drawn to Peter and John. They're staring at Peter and John, and and Peter asks, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made him walk? They rightly turn, Peter and John rightly turn the focus back onto Jesus. They don't draw attention to themselves. Another word of caution, our our prayers must be grounded in God's power, compassion, and will, not in our faith level or in the volume of our prayer. Sometimes when people are praying for healing, they raise the volume as if that might somehow move God's hand. God is not deaf. And we need to remember that God does not always heal physically. For example, Paul's counsel to Timothy. Timothy is suffering with with something and Paul says, well, why don't you take some wine? The gift of healing. And then a third gift, the gift of miracles. 
Again, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles. Uh, in the original, it literally reads demonstrations of power. So extraordinary works of God that include healings, but also the course of nature altered. Um, I found it interesting recently, uh, there was a hurricane approaching the East Coast and churches in the Carolinas were gathering to prayer to pray and the media was kind of mocking that act of faith. And I just found it interesting that the hurricane actually turned and went back into the ocean. But the course of nature being altered, that does happen in history. Deliverance from danger, demons being expelled... Let me provide a definition. With God-given empowerment, the gift of miracles performs powerful acts where God receives the glory for the supernatural intervention. Again, repeating. The gift of miracles performs powerful acts where God receives the glory for the supernatural intervention. Jesus worked miracles. Again, in Luke chapter 8, he gets into a boat with his disciples, and they're crossing a lake, and as they're crossing, Jesus falls asleep. And suddenly there's a windstorm. The waves are raging, water filling the boat. And the disciples are distraught. And they wake Jesus up and they say, Master, we're dying. And Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind and the waves. The wind calms down, the waves calm. And the disciples are just awestruck. Who is this that commands the wind and the waves? And this demonstration of God's power over the natural realm reveals to the disciples again that the one in the boat truly is the Son of God. The apostles, they also work miracles. This is the way that Paul summarizes his ministry. This is Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 17, page 950, if you have grabbed the Bible. Romans 15, verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I practiced that word all week, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So how does he summarize his ministry? He says that everything was accomplished by Jesus through him when he proclaimed the gospel by word, by deed, that is by the power of signs and wonders, everything by the power of the Spirit of God. The gospel was proclaimed and confirmed by signs and wonders, not only through Paul and the apostles, but also through the 72 that Jesus sent out who were sent out with authority to pray for the sick, to heal the sick, to expel demons. Also through other disciples like Stephen and Philip. This is what we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So did these miraculous works end with the early church at the end of the first century? 
Craig Keener, who is a New Testament scholar, he's written a work on miracles. It's a two-volume work, 1,172 pages. It's a, a little book you can read before breakfast. But what he demonstrates is how healing signs and wonders have happened throughout church history and in recent years in increasing measure around the world. Miracles are a foretaste, or sorry, they are a sign of God's presence, of his compassion and his power, and they're a foretaste of the day when Jesus returns and all healing will be complete, and there will be no more suffering and pain. They create this sense of awe, of wonder, of godly fear. They encourage the church to live in our day with more faith and courage because God is present to act. So do you have this gift of asking for the miraculous? Here are some questions you may ask. Has God put you in situations where you saw the power of God demonstrated in order to deliver people from fear? Has God given you unusual faith in circumstances where you needed to trust God on your behalf and on the behalf of others? Needed to trust him to intervene. You know, we proclaim the same message of Jesus that the apostles proclaimed. The same spirit that was at work through them is present and at work through us. We trust in the same God. God has not changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A word of caution. The working of a miracle, it's always about the glory of God. It's not about the glory of a person or the glory of a church. It is for the fame of Jesus. And God does these works in order to draw people to himself. Why would God encourage us to exercise faith at the end of the ninth, sorry, at the beginning of the 21st century. This Christmas season, why would God encourage us to exercise faith and to trust him for gifts of healing and the workings of miracles? Well, because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world where there are unfulfilled dreams and disappointment and anxiety, family breakdown, abuse, spiritual oppression, disease, injustice. Our suffering, it is experienced on every level, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, sexually, on every level. And what is very true is that we approach the problem of suffering based on how we see the world. And what is the predominant worldview in Canada today? Well, in Canada, we live in a post-Christian world where many believe that faith in God is a thing of the past. Many of the people around us have absolutely no memory of the gospel. One of our members had some time this week to watch Hallmark Christmas movies and he watched six Hallmark Christmas movies, not one mention of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Christmas movies, Christmas is about the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. That's why Christmas exists in this culture, and no mention of Jesus. And in one of the scenes, uh, they were having this conversation about whether they should sing Silent Night or not, and they said, no, and let's not do that. <laughs> You know, if you were to share your faith in Jesus with another person, it would be quite likely that the person would say, hmm, how nice. I'm glad that works for you. 
and then would move on. That's not an unusual experience. People are skeptical of God. They're skeptical of the church. They know almost nothing about the story of Jesus, his, life, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, the reason for his coming. In the ministry of Jesus and also the ministry of the apostles, signs and wonders accompanied the proclamation of the gospel to authenticate the message. Throughout church history, when missionaries have gone to new people groups, the proclamation of the message of Jesus has been authenticated by signs and wonders. In the Muslim world today, where people are so skeptical of anything Christian, people see Jesus in dreams and visions, and miracles are worked by the hand of the Father. So, my question is, in our secular Canadian world, so highly skeptical of the divine, where the vacuum, the spiritual vacuum, is ironically being filled by science and the paranormal, in that world, might God not use miracles to penetrate secular minds and hearts? To shake up the way of seeing of many around us. To authenticate the proclamation of, God, of the gospel out of compassion for our generation. Where people are like sheep without a shepherd. You see, I truly believe that the gifts of faith and healing and miracles, they speak to the felt needs of our day. Think with me a bit more. In a world where words have lost their meaning, where truth is relative, where history is being rewritten over and over again, where people aren't trusted, where things change just according to feeling, and history is being rewritten by both historians and the media, isn't the gift of faith a testimony to a God whose word is true? God who can be trusted, who's unchanging, who's steadfast in his love, who's present and good. In a world where people feel alone, where they feel abandoned, unloved, the gift of healing is just this tangible expression, demonstration, that God actually is present, that he does love, that he does see, that he is powerful. In a world where people feel vulnerable because of climate change and global tension and natural disasters, the gift of miracles is a tangible demonstration of God's sovereignty over all things and power to act. He is the Lord of history. I believe these gifts have a profound purpose in our world of skepticism. Going back to the beginning of the message... It's one thing to have a smartphone described to you. It's another one thing to have one in your hand and see what it can do. It's one thing to have the Grand Canyon described to you. It's another, one, another thing to go there and see it for yourself. Uh, a young woman in uh, the Midwestern United States, uh, she was single, she became pregnant, she was rejected by her parents. And so on the day of her delivery, as she was going to the hospital, she went with her sister. And uh, in that hospital at that time, because of policy, only spouses and significant others were permitted to enter the delivery room. And so she went in alone. Her sister was not permitted to enter. So there she was struggling to give birth to the child. She was distraught. She was in despair. Um, the gynecologist, the doctor, he wanted to administer an epidural. 
Uh, but she just could not stop moving. She just could not calm down. So the attending nurse just scolded her, calm down. She couldn't. She couldn't calm down. And then a second doctor, gowned, he came up to her and took her by the hand and looked her in the eye and said, everything will be fine. Just focus on me. And she calmed down. The gynecologist was able to administer the epidural and she gave birth. So after the delivery, the attending nurse came up to her and said, good thing you calmed down. And uh, she said, well, good thing the other doctor came and held my hand. And the nurse said, there was no other doctor. So some time passed and uh, someone shared the gospel with her. She came to faith in Jesus and she came to the understanding that the Lord had actually met her in her moment of despair, that he had been there to calm her. She got a job, a good job at a Christian agency. She was earning quite well. She was able to provide for herself and also for her newborn child. And then just as life was beginning to settle, she got this prompting from the Holy Spirit that she should move to California and work at Universal Studios. And she thought, oh, what a crazy thought. No, 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 no. Life is good here. It's stable. I have a good job. This is where I'll stay. But the prompting kept coming back. The urge grew stronger and stronger. And so finally, she stepped out in faith and she moved to California with her young child and she got a job at Universal Studios as an admin administrative assistant. After a number of months, she, uh, she asked for a room. She went to the administration. She said, can I have a room? I want to start a Bible study. They thought it was a rather unusual request. No one had ever asked for that. But they said, sure, take a room. So she started this Bible study and other employees, as because of her courage, other employees also, you know, uh, revealed themselves to be Christian. This often happens. And so people started to join her for the Bible study, and it started to grow. And one day she noticed that the vice president of Universal was there in her Bible study. God was blessing it. That Bible study at Universal grew, and it also spread to other studios in Hollywood. And today, there are Bible studies in every studio in Hollywood. So there you see the impact of the miraculous on a person that does not yet know Jesus. And how that brought life change, and how then that believer in Jesus exercised faith. And many others we're blessed. So my question for you this Christmas season is, would God not have it in his heart to powerfully work among us for his glory that we might be encouraged in our faith, but not just that, that others who do not know Jesus would be drawn to him. That they would come to the understanding that God truly does exist. That he is powerful. That he is present and compassionate. Would we be willing to exercise faith? And where we lack faith, ask that God increase our faith, that we would trust him to do great things in our day for his glory and his glory alone. Would we want to pray in that way? I heard one of amen. Would we want to pray in that way? Amen. 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 Let's stand for prayer. And I want to pray with us. And after I've, I've prayed, maybe you're here and you, uh, 
you just need prayer because you've come with something that's burdening you or it's, it, it's, it's an illness. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be relational. God knows your need. Uh, the prayer team will come forward and we'll be here to pray with you. Let's pray. So, Father, we do worship you and we humble ourselves before you. And we acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you're all-powerful and present to work by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, most of all, for sending your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for coming, for living among us, for revealing the Father to us. And going to the cross, that greatest demonstration of love for us. And you took our sin upon yourself. You paid the price we couldn't pay. And we've received the gift of forgiveness of sin. Our shame has been removed. Our fears dispelled. We have the gift of eternal life. And you've sent your Holy Spirit to abide in us. And you've gifted us. And so, Lord, may we live with the eyes of faith. Where we lack faith, Lord, increase our faith. May we trust you for great things during this Christmas season. May we trust you to work in ways beyond our understanding. May we trust you to bring healing where people are suffering physically or emotionally or relationships are broken. Lord, whatever the need is, may we exercise faith in you and you alone. You have revealed yourself to be our healer and we give you all the praise and glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's go to a time of prayer. God bless you.